Hesedim is a series of reflection, usually reflecting on an issue in the society in the light of the words of scripture. You're welcome to join us each time and to send your questions or comments by way of a voice note. Look forward to hearing you and speaking with you. I'm speaking to you today about unity. Allow me to read some words from Psalm 133, which is regarded as a song of ascent and a song of David. Listen to the words of the Psalm. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, on the color of his robe. It is like the dew of Hermon. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. There, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. There are some things that are good, but not pleasant. And there are some things that are pleasant, but not good. For God's people to live together in unity is both pleasant and good. The psalm is attributed to David. It does not have to be written by him, of course, but there are some things in the life of King David that would make it easy to see why he placed such a high value on unity within a family. One of his sons killed his own brother and David knew the heartbreak of the inability to settle differences and the dangers of unresolved anger and bitterness that lead to the exacting of revenge even within a family. The psalmist argues that we should set out to build unity and to maintain unity as being of utmost importance within our families, within our communities, within the nation, among the people. In order to depict the value that unity has, he says that it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down to the beard. It is something fragrant, enriching the experience and abundantly overflowing from one part of life to another. And he ends by saying that the Lord bestows God's blessing on the unity of God's people. I think we can all agree with the psalmist about the value and possibilities of unity. But how is unity achieved and how is it sustained? In order to answer this question, we must first ascertain what unity is and what it is not. Unity is the bond forged in a group or a community around a transcendent purpose that results in mutual commitment and the sharing of resources in the pursuit of this purpose. Unity is not the same as tribalism. The compiler 
of the book of Psalms has attributed it to David for good reason. One of those reasons is that David was himself a member of the tribe of Judah, which was the tribe from which the rulers and leaders of Israel for a long time emerged. Early in the story of the nation of Israel, a choice was made and a preference expressed for Judah rather than the tribe of Benjamin to supply leadership or for David rather than Saul to be the exemplars of national leadership. This was because of a certain set of incidents that took place at the hand of the tribe of Benjamin and are recorded for us in the book of Judges. The incident surrounded a woman who was raped and murdered in Gibeah, one of the territories belonging to the tribe of Benjamin. This happened during a time when Israel had no developed national systems of justice and very few national institutions. However, the rape and murder of the woman who was gang raped by young men from Gibeah in the tribe of Benjamin absolutely outraged and incensed the nation of Israel. The national leadership, such as it was at the time, demanded accountability. They demanded that ben the Benjaminites should hand over the culprits from Gibeah so that they could be made to be subject to due process. The Benjaminites refused to hand over one of their own and the nation went to war as a result of which ten thousands of tens of thousands of persons lost their lives. Benjamin had to be defeated in war, in battle, before it would hand over one of its own to face the consequences of their own misdeeds and malfeasance, their crimes of rape and murder. The nation of Israel used that to determine that whoever provided leadership to the nation had to meet a first qualification, that is, that they are committed to a transcendent purpose, a higher order of value. Leadership that is valuable and sustainable do not, does not put kith and kin above principle. When loyalty to the group is at the expense of the pursuit of principle and values, it is not unity. It is tribalism which is a distortion of unity. Unity, therefore, is unity when it holds itself accountable to higher values and principles to which it is subject and by which it is ordered. Unity is never absolute, so that it is unbreakable, even if truth or goodness or values require that it is to be broken. It seems to me that even before we begin to promote unity in our families, in our communities, in our churches, in our country, we need to spend some time sharpening and articulating the values and principles to which we are committed, by which we are ordered. It is when our unity is grounded in our commitment to these ethics, these values, these principles, these transcendent purposes that we are cemented and bonded together. 
without the higher order of values to which we are accountable and by which we are constrained and which bind us together. We are not much more than rabble, tribes perpetually at war. It would be useful if the value leaders amongst us, whether in the political parties, in the trade union, trades unions, in our churches, in our school rooms, in our communities and in our families, begin once again, as our forebears did in their time, through folklores and fables and stories to inculcate uh, to, in ourselves and to instill these values and these principles and these truths. Principles and values like the pursuit of justice, truth, of peace, to name only three, are absolutely foundational to our unity. We have allowed our people to be in a drift without moral centering and moral grounding to which we are accountable, committed and by which we are ordered. Unity is unity around a common cause that is greater than the narrow self-interest of the group narrowly defined. When unity works, it is outward looking. It is preserving and productive of the greater good and the common good. Secondly, unity is never merely mechanical and cannot be legislated. Unity relies on voluntary participation and maintenance by the members of the community that constitute the participants in the project to which and by which we are united. Unity requires work. It is not static, but dynamic. It is an ongoing project. There are three things that we must actively work at in order to achieve and to maintain unity for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. The first is mutual respect. I do not believe unity requires so much to, for us to feel affection to the people with whom we are united, but it is impossible to achieve unity without mutual respect. I believe that we must consider, conduct ourselves respectably, but more so, we must always act respectfully towards each other. Our words and deeds must always be tinged with respect. We have a duty not to cause offense. Our actions are to be those that seek to secure the interests and the dignity of our fellow human beings. I believe that we must sanitize our vocabulary and ask God to set a watch before our lips and incline not our mouth to speak any evil thing. We call it manners. We call it courtesy. It is vital to maintaining unity. The culture of crassness and abusiveness without a disposition to offer best wishes is injurious to our, our unity. We must be specifically disciplined about the things we say about each other behind each other's back. We must watch our words. In order to achieve and maintain unity, the level of respect amongst us has to increase. To show respect to each other must be our culture. In addition to respect, we have to develop tolerance. We have been socialized in a very judgmental culture. 
from very early in our upbringing, we get comfortable passing remarks about others and getting into the habit of body shaming and body policing of others. And when we want to build unity, we find ourselves handicapped by bad habits, which make us judgmental and intolerant. In order to build tolerance, we have to accept each other as God in Christ has accepted us. We have to accept our individual differences. We have to accept our diversity. We have to be open to our differing points of view. We need to build openness and hospitality, welcoming of others into our way of doing and our way of being. We need to build up our capacity mix without getting mixed up and to be comfortable with the ways and the beings of others. We live in a small island, not a cosmopolitan space, and we have got used to hearing only our language and taking for granted our religious faith as the common faith and our cultural moorings as the norm and the standard. And if we are fortunate and we get to live for a time in a cosmopolis, there we hear different languages and we are exposed to different standards of dress and different culinary delights and we discover that people are both different and the same. We build unity. We learn to put ourselves in the other person's position and to enter not only their homes, but their skin and to see the world through their eyes. We learn to confess the brotherhood and sisterhood of all human beings. We have allowed ourselves to be so polarized and we have turned mere distinctions into divisions and never the twain shall meet. We need to learn anew how to get along, how to embrace the differences in each other. We need to learn that we are all one. And this is such a vital principle of the Christian community, the confession of our oneness. In addition to respect and tolerance, in order to achieve and maintain unity, we have to build up our store of forgiveness. In the passage of time and in the course of relationships, whether at the interpersonal level between individuals or within groups, wrongs will be committed that cause disappointment and that cause injury. Some of these wrongs are unintended. Others are the products of treachery, deceit, and are downright evil. We are not perfect human beings. On the contrary, we are capable of immense evil. Our unity there, therefore can only be perfected in the context of the culture of the offer of forgiveness. We will each fail, but we must never fail to forgive. We have simultaneously to account for wrongs and to forgive our wrongdoing. If we keep record of wrongs, we will not sustain unity. We have to remember that the villain in the peace is still a brother or a sister. We must treat them as such. Because they are important to us, we let their fault and their failing go. We move on from the disappointment, the hurt and the injury. We must give each other a second chance, a chance to make amends and to start over if necessary, 
Forgiveness makes it easy for brethren and sistren to dwell together in unity. It opens up us to a fresh fragrance of strong relationship. It is like perfume. We come from weak family structures in which we are trained to be rugged individuals and nomads. We are taught to be rivals and competitors, not so much to be team members. And because we are disempowered, always scrambling for survival, we see others as threats. We growl like dogs over their meals. What is being called for is a new sense of community and unity in which we deepen a sense of family and we build a quotient of respect and tolerance and forgiveness. And we say like the psalmist, behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Unity is what we seek and work for. To go alone is to go fast. To go together is to go far. We have been splintered and separated into camps. We are polarized into parties, denominations, and gangs. Perhaps this is as good a time as any to start practicing team, to start practicing unity. If we do, we will find it enriching. We will find it overflowing. We will find the blessing of God Almighty. It is good and pleasant for God's people, all of God's people, to live in unity with respect for each other and tolerance of our differences and with the offer of forgiveness to each other. May God help us so to do. Amen.